Um, we're going to finish up this uh, four-message series called 2020 Vision, Gaining a Biblical Vision for Spiritual Growth in the New Year. We've been hitting this on and off um, for four weeks now, and this is the fourth week. In the first week, if you remember, uh, right after New Year's, we looked at climbing out of the spiritual slump. Sometimes spiritually we get ourselves in a slump, and it's not a good thing. God doesn't want us in a rut. He doesn't want us in a slump. And so we looked at Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, 14 to 21, and it talked about how to do that. You can get the message on the app or online. Uh, the second week, we looked at Climbing into your spiritual service. In other words, First Timothy chapter 6 taught us that you know, God saves us for a purpose. We're not here to be spectators. We're here to serve Christ in his church. And both of those weeks were dealing with us as individuals, personally. Uh, and then we kind of changed it a little bit on week 3, and we looked at a more corporate view of things. And uh, the message was entitled on week, the third message in this series was, entitled, Don't Focus on the Family. <laughs> Don't Focus on the Family. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And if anything has hurt Christian families more than anything else, it's the undue focus they put on their own family and their own children. Now, you might say, well, isn't that a good thing? Well, it's a good thing as long as it doesn't take away focus from what God wants us to be focused on. And so we looked at that. On that week. And today we're going to be looking at the message entitled Focus on the Church. Focus on the Church. I was doing some uh, figuring this past week. I was back there by myself uh, in our family home by myself many nights. And uh, as I was studying, I got my little iPhone out with a calculator and I thought, I wonder how long out of my life I've spent serving the church. And I figured out that two-thirds of my life here on earth has been committed to serving the church of Christ. Um, and that kind of startled me because I thought, wow, I didn't know I was that old. Um, you know, I've had a lot of different jobs, a lot of different careers, some of them full-time, some of them part-time. And some of them, I really enjoyed them. I really loved them. As a matter of fact, at one point, when I was down in Riverside County, after I finished being a youth pastor at one church, I had some time, and I did some IT work in, in a bank that Ambika was working at, and that was kind of interesting. I drove a limo. I actually uh, took Sonny Bonar, Bono, he was a congressman at the time, from uh, LAX to his home in Palm Springs. That's my claim to fame. He was an interesting, interesting guy. Um, but I also worked with law enforcement in the DA's office, and I really loved that job. I had a car and a badge, and I thought, wow, this is neat. I always liked sirens and lights. And I'll never forget when the letter came from this church to our home in Indio, California, and my wife said, why aren't you going to open that up? I said, eh, no. <laughs> I don't know. What is it? Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, what is that? I've never heard of that, you know. And it laid on the counter for a couple days, and I remember... Um, I hadn't reached out to them, but um, they reached out to me. And I remember after a couple of days, my wife said, you may think I'm nuts, but I think that's the church we're going to end up at. And I said, well, I think you are nuts. 
because I kind of like my job right now, and I don't really want to leave. But you know what? I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God had placed a call on my life to sacrifice all those other things, to serve his church, whether it's here or anywhere else. And for whatever reason, I've never been able, since I came to Christ back in 1979, been able to distance myself from the church. There's times when I've wanted to distance myself from the church. But no matter how attractive or wonderful those other opportunities that came across my path were, it seems that the Spirit of God always pulled me back to serving his church. And you know what? I love Christ's church. I love this church. I love pastoring this church. It's a wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord. It's neat to be in a place so long that you've seen kids grow up and go to college and come back and begin their adult life and they're actually serving in the church. Um, It's been a center of my life now for some 40 plus years. And I remember when I was born again in 1979, it was a pastor, a local pastor, his name was Dan Rathmull, from a local church, along with two of my older brothers who had come to Christ. They helped me to understand the gospel. They helped me to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The church is the place where, really, I came to understand the knowledge of God, where I learned about Christ and who he was and what he did for us. I gained the knowledge of saving and sanctifying truth. It was in the church that I learned the different books of the Bible and the different stories that relate to us oh so well. It was in the church that I learned that God had a standard morally for my life. It was in the church that I learned how to pray for my loved ones, for those who are still lost in my family. It was in the church where I learned how to sing. (laughs) See, in the Catholic church, you didn't sing. I mean, they sang, but you never sang. And uh, it was in the church where I used my gift and talents as far as a musician. Never would I ever play in front of anybody before I became a Christian. I had a whole keyboard set up down in the basement. And I remember my sister used to come down when I lived with them. I'd be going on and on and playing all this crazy music. And she'd come down and she'd go, that'd be pretty nice. As soon as I see her, I'd stop. Well, what are you doing? I can't play in front of you. You have to leave. Just couldn't do it. But after I came to Christ, I was going to school and I was serving in the, this little church, Fair Havens Baptist Church in Spring Valley, California, down the San Diego area. And I remember one Sunday morning, their pianist didn't show up. And the pastor said, didn't, didn't you say you could play the piano? Uh, did I say that? <laughs> you know, I need the music. I need everything. I, I, need, I can't do it by ear. You know, I need at least some chords. And well, here, what's this? And they had some chords there and stuff. And I thought, well, okay, here we go. <laughs> Never did it before. But because it was a church, I was willing to try and I haven't stopped. Um, it was in the church that I experienced the leading of the Spirit of God in directing me 
my life into the life of ministry. It was in the church where I met my lifelong partner, Ambika, First Baptist Church at Fremont, I think in 87 maybe, 86, 87. Here we are. How many years later? I'm not going to throw out any numbers because I'll probably get them wrong, but it was in the church that we raised our daughter, Crystal, and now it's in the church that my grandchildren are being raised. It's in the church that I've made lifelong friends. And really, I mean, bottom line, you know, the church is my life. That's what it is. And I remember early in ministry when I was a youth pastor and even when I first came to this church, some well-meaning individuals would tell me, you don't need to be at the church so much. You're going to burn yourself out. You need to take a day off. You need to take a break. As I've gotten older, I've learned the wisdom of that. But I remember one elders meeting, they said, you know, Matt, why don't you take a sabbatical? And I looked at it and said, why? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to take time away from the church? Why would I want to get away from and distance myself from what God has called me to do? I mean, it's my family. It's the people I love. Trust me, if I'm going to burn out, I'm going to burn out serving the church. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Even in eternity, beloved, we will be gathered as the redeemed, glorified church of Christ. Isn't that exciting? You don't get away from each other when you, when you die. We're going to see each other in glory. And so I have a tough time sometimes understanding people who call themselves Christians who don't love the church. And I don't mean to be judgmental. But it's true. How can you come to Christ and not love the church? Our attitude should be we can't wait to gather together as the people of Christ, the people of God. I remember when I was going to the Catholic church when I was younger, Late 60s and early 70s, they started a Saturday night folk service. And so they'd bring out their acoustic guitars, and, you know, it was kind of real informal. And, you know, you had guys up there that kind of looked like hippies and girls, and they'd be playing their guitars, and we'd be singing Kumbaya. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. But there was something inside of me, because if we went Saturday night, we didn't have to go Sunday. <laughs> and I thought, good deal. But there was something that, even as a non-believer, I just felt like, this is cheating. <laughs> We're cheating God. And I, I couldn't put it together. I didn't understand. But I, I just felt like somehow that was, that was cheating God out of his due. Usually we would go on Saturday night because it meant we didn't have to get up so early the next morning for Mass. And some of my other brothers were a little rambunctious with their partying and stuff, so that was a good deal. So once in a while, I'd go with them on, on Saturday night. But I've even heard people in their Christian walks, in bigger churches where maybe they have multiple services, and maybe they have one that's real early on a Sunday morning. 
I've heard Christians say, yeah, oh, we love our church. You know, they have this morning service, 730. It's great. You just get it out of the way and you got the whole day to yourself. And I thought, wow. I mean, I get the logic of that. I understand that because we're all busy. But it really goes to show you where their heart is concerning the gathering of God's people together. In some countries that we visited over the years, it's always exciting because these people in these foreign countries, they love the church. I mean, you don't even have to have a reason to gather, and they're there. And it's not just on Sunday. I mean, Sunday usually they start early of a prayer meeting, then they have the service, and that goes on for a couple hours. Then they have a dinner, lunch together in the afternoon, and then after they're done there, then they go out to... A, different churches and you're ministering usually in the afternoons and then sometimes they'll come back at night and have another church meeting or prayer service that's just sunday don't speak of the the bible studies they have you know throughout the week the midweek service of course on a wednesday night don't talk about the men's groups and the women's groups or the youth meetings and and everything else the visitation that goes on see there was a time beloved when coming to christ meant coming to his church that's what it meant. There was a time when salvation meant union with the visible gathering of the body of Christ. Becoming a Christian meant fellowship. Unfortunately, that's changed. Our society has changed us. John MacArthur points out the following. He says this, the emphasis the contemporary emphasis in evangelism is having a personal relationship with Christ. In the process of personalizing this and banging on this issue of personal relationship to Christ, which has become the pervasive theme of contemporary evangelism, rarely is there any discussion about the church. It's extremely rare, he says, to pick up a gospel track or a gospel presentation that ends with any discussion of a believer's relationship to the church. There's a very low emphasis on church involvement, church membership, being part of the family of God, the visible gathered household of redeemed saints. And he continues, he says, and in our massive efforts to make personal salvation the issue, we have really left the church behind to the detriment of many, many souls, end quote. There's a lot of churches today that don't even have membership. They don't have members. They don't want membership. They don't want people to join their church. Some churches even teach against that kind of thing. There's some churches that don't require baptism, they don't require membership, they don't require you believe what they believe, they don't require anything. Just come and give us your money and that's good. If you look at the low level of commitment to the church, John MacArthur points out three things. He says, I see it by the pattern of which professing Christians relate to the church. We're talking about professing Christians. People don't 
just don't relate to the church as being a significant part of their life. I think today we've created a bunch of Christian consumers, church hoppers. They don't really have any loyalty or any commitment to any given assembly of redeemed and gathered saints. They feel little or no attachment or obligation or regular attendance to any church. Involvement is not their priority at all. They just bounce whoever's having the latest concert or the best speaker. To those people, the church may meet, but it certainly doesn't mean that they need to be there. The church may gather to study the Word of God or to pray or to be trained, but that doesn't really apply to them. After all, they have a personal relationship with Christ. (laughs) They don't understand their involvement. They don't understand their life is a connection to the church. Today, unfortunately, much of people's Christianity exists outside the church when you think about it. There are plenty of things outside the church to keep us busy under the Christian banner. And I'm not saying they're all bad. But they can occupy our life and our time without ever getting committed, without ever being involved in the church. That's tragic. And it's kind of this consumerism, this individualism that has emphasized this personal relationship with God through Christ that many people who call themselves Christians think community and walking together in life with accountability is something that's optional. It doesn't have to be part of your life as a Christian. But see... Intentional Christian community, being part of what God has created as the church, that's a non-negotiable when it comes to being a healthy and effective Christian. If you're struggling in your Christian walk in any way, the first thing you should look at is, what is your involvement in the church? John Wesley said this, there's a quote there on the other side of your outline, Christianity is not a religion for solitude and solitary. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. That's so true. Trust me, if I could be an island unto myself, I would do it, because <laughs> I'm not a people person. But that's not what God's called me to do. That's not what Christ expects of us as his people. So yeah, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. You know, my wife invites people over for dinner, and boy, she's, she's energized by that. By the end of the night, I am drained. I am like, oh, my goodness. Not that I don't like the people coming over. Not that I don't enjoy being around them. Just something in my personality. Just, wow, that's a big thing for me. D.L. Moody says this, what makes the Dead Sea dead? <laughs> he asks the question, and he gives the answer. He says, because it is all the time receiving never giving out anything. Why is it that many Christians are cold? Because they are all the time receiving, never giving out anything. I thank God that I'm part of a church where that's not the norm. 
that most of you are actively serving somehow, somewhere within the church, Grace Bible Church. You're willing to serve. Some of you are serving too much. That's okay. So the first thing there is just the pattern of which Christians relate to the church. Secondly, John MacArthur says that there's a neglect of the ordinances of baptism and communion. There's a neglect of that. There's a lot of churches that lower the bar for these things. To be part of the church, you don't have to be baptized. doesn't matter. doesn't mean that you know, baptism has anything to do with your salvation. We understand what baptism is. Sharon was just baptized last week. There are many people who would call themselves Christians who have never been baptized. And they have no intention of being baptized. Biblically. See, that's, that's something that's not optional. There are many people who call themselves Christians who have little interest in attending the Lord's table, attending communion. I mean, if it happens when they're there, that's great, but they're not going to go out of their way to make it. See, there's a neglect, a neglect today in churches of the ordinances of baptism and communion. Do you know that baptism is the first, should be the first act of obedience for a newborn, a born-again believer? Um, That's just so important. Thirdly, he says, another evidence of disinterest in the church is the massive development of ministry outside the church. Think about it. Think how much ministry goes on outside the church today with parachurch organizations. Now, it's not that they're bad organizations. It's not that they're not doing good. It's not that they're not trying to serve Christ in their own way. But don't confuse them with the church because they're not the church. Parachurch ministries have developed and proliferated beyond imagination. And the sad part about it is most of those organizations, that some of them do some good work, but most of them tend to be atheological. In other words, there's no theology there. They have no regard for theology because that limits their influence. So they take a very broad brush when it comes to ministry and theology. Well, what's so important about the local church? I think today when we can get our, hear some incredible messages on our little iPhone or, you know, online or whatever, I mean, speakers that are just so far above most of us who preach weekly in our little churches, I mean, why, why couldn't you just do that? Why couldn't you stay home and watch John MacArthur on TV or Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah? I mean, isn't that good enough? I mean, why should it matter how you're getting fed? Why should it matter how you're taking in the Word of God? Is that really that big of a deal? What's wrong with a virtual web-based congregation? Today you have churches doing satellite churches. You have a pastor in in one location and the other churches meet and they show a video screen of the pastor teaching. I mean, I see where that would be interesting for some people because it lowers the bar. 
Why can't you worship from the sanctuary of your little smartphone? The answer is simply this, beloved. That is not the means that God designed and decreed for people to worship him. That's not what he said. We've not been called to an individualistic religion shaped and, and, and fashioned by our own personal desires and decrees. The Lord has a much greater design for his church. I mean, think about it. In the New Testament, you see all over the place. 1 Corinthians, for example, chapter 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sophonies. Verse 2, what's it say? To the church. 2 Corinthians, verse 1. Paul, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the church. I can go on and on. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church. See, belonging to the church, not just the church universal, the invisible church, but belonging to the visible gathered church is the very heart of our Christianity. It's the expressed unity of the body made visible. The church gathers to participate in worship. That we gather together for baptisms. We gather together for communion. We gather together for ministry. It expresses in spiritual reality and its corporate identity. Do you know that the Lord never established any institution except the church. That's it. Christ is the head of the church, and under his headship come the the plurality of godly pastors and elders, those who are willing to serve the church. I mean, that's what the church is. Nothing more than that. I mean, even when it comes to baptism, if you read through, if you want to be biblical about it, read through the New Testament. I mean, the idea of somebody who's an unbaptized Christian, you're not going to find it. Baptism even becomes a term that's synonymous with salvation itself. Ephesians 4, 5. One Lord, one faith, what? One baptism. That outward expression of an inward change. When we fail to be at the Lord's table, I mean, that was cause for grave concern in the New Testament church. Perhaps even church discipline. If you're a part of a church and you didn't come to the communion table. Even coming to the Lord's table without having your heart right. I mean, there's evidence that it it could cause sickness, even death. That's how serious it was. Well, Hebrews chapter 10 commands us, commands every believer to be part of a local body, a local church. And it tells us why it's necessary. Look at what it says in Hebrews 10, 24, 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more when you see the day drawing near. See, there's a level of intimacy required within the local church 
to stimulate fellow believers. To love and good deeds, it says. That can only be cultivated in a gathered local body. That's not going to happen with you at home in your living room and your easy boy watching John MacArthur on TV or anybody else for that matter. It's only in the setting of the church that we can carry out the fullness of the one another's of Scripture. The New Testament also teaches that every believer is to be under the protection and nurture of the leadership of the local church. God has raised up godly men to shepherd the believer by encouraging, admonishing, and teaching. And they're held accountable for that. They're held accountable for such leadership. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul told Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. See, part of the emphasis in public worship includes those three things. Hearing the Word of God. That's why we do a Scripture reading right at the beginning. Exhortation, which is a calling to obedience of what the Word of God says. And then a teaching of the Word of God, expounding, helping you understand what the text says. See, it's only in the local context of the church that those things can happen effectively and efficiently. And we're given that example in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It tells us what they did. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Four things. They learned God's word and how it affected their lives. They joined to carry out acts of love and service to one another. They remembered the Lord's death through communion and his resurrection. And they prayed together. It's so much more than just coming to church on Sunday morning. That's what we boiled it down to. If we're here on Sunday morning, we can check the box and not feel guilty the rest of the week. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing some of those things individually. We should have a personal devotion time and prayer time. See, but God has called us into his body, and we should gladly minister and be ministered to by God's people. See, it's not about, boy, I hope the pastor has a message that's going to feed me today, or I hope they sing my song today, or I hope blah, 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 blah. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Sunday morning coming together as the body of Christ and saying, you know what? I'm here not to get something. I'm here to give something. And I'm not talking about money. I'm here because, you know what? Maybe God has somebody in our body that's going through a horrific trial that I've already gone through. And God wants me to come alongside them and pray with them and encourage them. Ministering to each other. Leave the consumerism at the door. Come here with a desire to serve. Because God has ordained the church to provide the kind of environment where an uncompromising life can thrive and his people will grow spiritually. The church is the only institution that Jesus personally, our Lord and Savior, personally established 
and he promised to bless it. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Why would anyone who claims to love the Lord want to keep his people at arm's length? Why would you not want to be part in a greater way of the church that God has established? It's obviously obvious that the leaders of the early church knew their flock well. You know, some people say, well, I don't know, I don't agree with church membership isn't in the New Testament. Well, I've listed several verses there. You can look them up on your own. In Acts 20, Paul exhorted the elders of the Ephesian church to faithfully watch over and shepherd their people. See, the problem with the idea of no church membership is the idea we don't know who's here and who's not. We don't know. It's hard to shepherd a flock when you don't know who the flock is. It kind of makes common sense. You don't have to know a lot about sheep, but you do have to know this. Sheep don't survive very well just roaming around on their own. In the New Testament, you never hear of church membership in today's uh, terms. The, the, the principles of the, the life in the early church lay the foundation for faithfully submitting and belonging to a local congregation. Now, you know, maybe they had a different process to make their membership happen. But make no mistake about it, they were members of a church. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost that explosive day of growth in the early church in verse 41 of chapter 2 of Acts. So those who received the word were baptized, there you go, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine? What they added to? It says they were added. Added to what? Added to the others. Oh, so they must have had a list. Yeah, it's called church membership. Acts 1 verse 15 says that about 120 people were already gathered together in the upper room. The 3,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost would have been in addition to the core that already existed after Christ's ascension. It's possible even that their names were added to a list by a secretary or someone keeping track of it. We don't know. But the moment these men and women were saved... They were baptized as a physical testimony of their transformed lives and their way to identify with the other believers in the church. They were immediately welcomed into the church. Acts 2.47 says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, it just didn't stop at Pentecost. It was something that went on and on. The church met daily, it tells us. And every day the Lord was drawing new men and women to himself and into the fellowship of his people, the church. And it wasn't short-term. It wasn't short-lived. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says, The church was growing exponentially. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. 
multitudes of both men and women. See, the, the implication there, how did they know it was multitudes? Somebody was keeping track of something. Now, in the earliest days of the church, everyone met together. They met in people's houses, clearly. But after Stephen's murder, a lot of believers were scattered by the persecution. And sometimes churches would start in another town. And maybe people would leave this town and go to that town, and and they'd go to that church. Well, the Bible indicates in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need of you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. What's Paul doing? Paul's saying, hey, this gal Phoebe, this sister in Christ, has left this town where this church was, and and now she's in, in your church. So they were keeping track of their own people. See, today we have this willy-nilly thing. Ah, you don't want to go to church? Just leave. Just go to another church. Nobody checks. Nobody cares. Nobody says anything. See, he was eager to keep track of his sheep, letting the other congregation know that her faith was genuine. Inevitably, when people show up here from another church, I'll usually call the pastor of the church they came from and say, hey, what's up? Not in any nosy way. I just want to know. You know, your people are coming here. See, as more and more genuine believers move from place to face, authenticating their faith and their character help to protect the church from infiltrators. Don't you see where that would be important? I mean, people were hunting down people in the church to kill them. So there were a lot of factious, a lot of heretical people out there who posed a threat to the church. And we have the same thing today. So yeah, you know, when you show up here, you're not going to be teaching next week. You're not even going to be serving next week. You're not going to become a member next week. We have a class for you to go through to learn more about us so we can learn more about you. Why? Because we want to protect our church. We want to protect Christ's church. The Lord loves his church, beloved. He shed his blood. He died for his church. And we are his body in this world as he works through us to accomplish his will. We're his bride in eternity, the eternal object of his love and affection. See, one of the key ways the church can guard itself from error and maintain its purity is to confirm the faith of its people and hold them accountable. And that's exactly why a lot of people don't come to a church like this. I understand that. But a couple things membership is. Membership, first of all, is fellowship. We're going to go through these quickly. A genuine spiritual unity of saved souls is evident throughout the New Testament. It's a gathering of Christians it's not a place where we're interested in kowtowing to unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever here today, you're welcome, just like everybody else is welcome. But we're not going to change what we do just because you're here. 
And yeah, it may feel a little awkward for you sometimes. We may use some terminology that maybe you never heard before and things like that. Sometimes when I sing, we sing some of the hymns regarding communion and things, I'm like, I wonder what non-believers are thinking at this point. Talks about blood, talks about all this stuff. See, we're not going to change who we are just because you're here. That would be hypocritical. Through the new birth of salvation, we have entered into fellowship with, with other believers. And that fellowship is so wonderful, it's so unique. Paul sternly warned the Corinthians to make sure that there were no divisions among them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, we read this when we went through that portion of Scripture. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I mean, that word fellowship, koinonia in the original language, simply means partnership. We're in this together. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us is blessed, we're all blessed. He describes that partnership in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave, listen to this, the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. What's that mean? Hey, welcome. That's why when someone joins our church, we have a time of rejoicing that, hey, you know, we want to welcome them into the fellowship. That's exactly what happens when you join a local church. I mean, today, unfortunately, we live in a, a world where people go to church wherever their felt needs are addressed. And when they stop being addressed, they unplug and they move to a different church. I mean, that, that pattern of behavior is completely foreign to God's word. Nowhere do you see that okay in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's, it's forbidden. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, how are you going to stimulate one another to love and good deeds if you're not even meeting together regularly? We don't even know what needs you may have. So forsaking the consistent fellowship of other believers cuts you off from what God has ordained as the source of biblical instruction, of accountability, and of spiritual growth. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. So the need of fellowship is even greater as we see the day appearing. Well, membership is also submission. As elders, as leaders of, of this congregation, we understand that we have to give an account for the people who are under our leadership. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I mean, when you're in ministry, you face the same burden for the men and women under your care. But what good is a shepherd if the sheep won't submit to the authority? And today, you know, it's, it's almost important, impossible to overcome the, the attitude amongst so many people who come to the church. It turns into, well, you know, if we don't please this couple, they may leave. And so try to please them. Well, by pleasing them, you're, you're not pleasing somebody else, so they leave. That's a game you'll not win. So we're not here to please you. We're here to honestly and openly teach the word of God. And we have men that do that very effectively. And also to hold you to account to your walk with Christ. The idea of Christians floating between multiple congregations and never committing to one body is completely foreign to the New Testament as we know it. Now, you have some pastors who exercise illegitimate authority over their people. You can read about those in books like Churches That Abuse. We're not into that here. You're, you're held accountable by God for your life. Now, if there's something we see that is sinful, we're going to point it out to you and try to correct, just like we would expect you to do of us, even as leaders. So it's important that we understand what the role here is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 13, Paul writes, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I mean, you want to bless the leaders of a church? Be at peace among yourselves. Thank God, for the most part, we're at peace among ourselves. I mean, I talk to some pastors, and it's like, wow, what? What is going on in your church? It's tragic. And some of you have been here long enough to realize that that once was here. That was the state of this church at one time. And thank God for a few godly men who were willing to hang around and do what God had called them to do. And reestablish this church upon the word of God, not on a personality. So membership is also identity. There's a lot of identity crisis going on today. People who don't have a strong sense of who they are or what they should pursue. The church is God's answer to that. Christians don't need to struggle with an identity crisis. If you understand who you are in Christ, you have your identity. Read the first three chapters of Ephesians. That will lay it out for you very easily. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer what? I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I mean, that should describe the spiritual state of every believer. We're no longer isolated. We're no longer on our own. That the Lord has bought us with a price. 
1 Corinthians 6, 2, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body and grafted us into his family. What a wonderful thing. Romans eleven seventeen. but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. See, the idea of the church is people from different backgrounds, different races, different ages coming together as the body of Christ. We're his church, we're his body, we're his bride. But if individually we are identified with Christ, then why do so many Christians refuse to identify with the church? With the church? Doesn't make any sense. Why do they refuse church membership? The Lord has made us all one family for all eternity. Why do so many people in the church spend so much time trying to avoid each other? 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. See, Timothy had some real reasons to be afraid of publicly proclaiming his faith and identifying with the church. Because there was a constant threat of persecution. There was a constant threat of imprisonment. There was a constant threat of even death. I often wondered what would happen if the state of California says, you know what, it's illegal to gather as the church anymore. You can't do it. What would happen? And if you do do it, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be thrown into prison. Wouldn't it be fun the next Sunday to see who's here? (laughs) That would tell you real quick, right? See, the majority of believers today never face that kind of pressure. Instead, the resistance of identifying with the church is born out of the fear of men. So many times, the church is so shallow, are looking at the church, well, it's not a cool place to be or whatever. So the answer is, well, make it a cool place. Dumb it down. So even a non-believer can come and have a party on a Sunday morning. Trust me, if you're a non-believer and you're coming to this church, I don't want you to have a party on Sunday morning. I want you to come under the authoritative, holy, inspired word of God. Because that's the only answer for your soul. It's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's not a light show or a music concert or a drama Well, I think membership is also loyalty. Loyalty. I mean, by now it should be clear, my view is that church is not, church membership is not an optional thing. I mean, there is no verse in the Bible that specifically commands us to sign on a dotted line to join a church. But clearly, clearly, throughout Scripture, there were members in the local fellowship of believers. Paul had that fellowship in mind in Ephesians 2 verse 19 because he says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God what's that mean now we're part of God's family now we're part of the church and to maintain unity within God's heavenly household that requires what it requires loyalty 
Loyalty to him, first and foremost, but also loyalty to his people. In the consumer-minded attitude today, most people aren't interested in loyalty. Most people see fellowship as a means of selfish ends. They'll meet with people as long as it suits their needs, as it pleases their interests. See, when you come to church, beloved, the question should not be this. What can I get out of my church? You're asking the wrong question. The question that you should be asking is, how can God use me to serve others in this place, the church? Will there be other believers in the congregation who maybe need to hear from you that morning when you're there? Maybe they need your help. Maybe they need your support. Maybe they need your encouragement. But so many times we're so busy looking at ourselves, we don't even see them. See, there's no shortage of spiritual, physical, emotional needs in our church, even though we're a small church. You don't have to look for a multitude of ways. You don't, it's not hard to find a multitude of ways in which you can be useful in this congregation. It's the same attitude you'd hope to cultivate within your own family. What are the needs around you? How can you be useful in meeting those needs? See, bring that kind of loyalty. Bring that kind of Christ-like attitude with you when you come to church. The attitude that says you're not there primarily to be served but you're here to serve. By God's grace, his perfect design, he's equipped each of us with incredible gifts, with a variety of spiritual gifts to be used in his church. The Lord has fitted all of us with certain talents, with certain abilities to be used for his glory. And every believer has the role within the body of Christ. The body, the Bible says, cannot function unless every part of it is working together. I mean, how is that possible apart from involvement in the local church? I often say the Lord did not save us to be spectators. He did not save us to be a solo act. He saved us to be members of his church to work together in harmony. And I trust by God's design, you'll understand what it means to be active, to to be useful in the local church, working side by side with others, self-sacrificing what you want to do for the sake of others. That starts with being a loyal member of your local church. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to participate together in what you call the church. And it's not perfect. Never will be perfect, this side of glory. People have hang-ups. Leaders have hang-ups. We're all imperfect people. We're all sinners saved by your grace. And yet you call us together and call us together to serve you for your glory. It's not about being in the spotlight. It's not about being acknowledged or patted on the head for a good job. Because we know if we're faithful to do what you've called us to do, that our reward will be in heaven. I want to ask you today as you're gathered here, how is your commitment to the local church? 
Is it really a picture of your commitment to Christ? Is it portraying what you would want people to know about your Christian life? Or is it just checking the box, coming once a week? No interest to learn, to grow, to fellowship with others. Not meant to be a guilt trip. You know me better than that. But it comes out of concern. It comes out of a, a concern for your, your growth, for the betterment of this church. I pray you'd consider these words this morning, that they would motivate you to up the ante, to raise the bar in your commitment to the local church. And Lord, if there's people here this morning who have yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray that you would show them through the power of your spirit their need for a Savior, their need to turn from their sin, to repent, to turn from their sin to the Savior, to acknowledge that they need forgiveness, to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a, that's a prayer that's when it's prayed from a sincere heart, God will answer. He'll forgive you. He desires to have that personal relationship that we talked to you this morning about. He desires you to have that. But you have to first come to him on his terms. And that's through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have any questions, you want to talk to someone, I pray that you would search those, those folks out and just ask, ask those questions after the service. Pray, Lord, you'd also bless our fellowship time across the way, bless the food, and and bless our, our time together as the body of Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen.